as we look at the lies that we listen to. I know I, I spelled it wrong on the screen and in your bulletin on purpose because God brings David to play the liar for Saul in his court. But it's really about the lies that we listen to, and particularly the lie of abandonment. That we think that God has left me alone. Think about Saul for a second. Saul's blessing was removed from him because he disobeyed. As a result, he was left to lead the nation of Israel, he thought, by himself, right? He thought that he was, God had left him all alone in his situation. Goliath comes along in the beginning of chapter 17 and tells a very similar lie to the nation of Israel. But as we're going to look this morning, that God has not abandoned anyone. God has not abandoned his people. God has not abandoned his, this world. He has left us with a remedy. A remedy to that feeling of abandonment, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of nobody knows what I'm going through. Can you all relate? Anybody else got that feeling sometimes? Nobody knows exactly what I'm going through. My grandma and grandpa don't understand it. My friends don't understand it. My kids don't understand it. My wife doesn't understand it. My husband doesn't understand it. My boss doesn't understand it. I'm left to go through this by myself. We've all been there, right? We've all been there. God has not left us by ourselves to fight any of our battles by ourselves. They said that there's some lies that we like to listen to and we, we, we say these things to ourselves that are very common in our culture. I want to read them to you very quickly this morning. As we think about the people that we have been sent to reach, the people that God has called us to reach, these are some of the lies that we tell ourselves that are so false. And they're very prevalent in our society. I'm not worthy of love. People, we tell ourselves this. I've done some horrible things in my life. And as we talk to them, they're like, you just don't understand my situation. You don't know what I've been through. I'm not worthy to be loved. My past decides my future. Because of my, what I've been through in my past, because of what I've done, because of the, the things I've done and the lies I've told or the, the different substances I've, I've taken into my body or the mistakes I've made, those things define me and define my future. I won't get hurt if I just stay to myself and I don't open up to anybody else. I'm just going to stay in my own little box, normal world, and I'm not, I won't get hurt. If the people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. If people knew the real David Etter, they wouldn't like me. So I have to put on this facade. I have to put on my preacher hat every Sunday morning because I can't let these people get to know the real me. It's a lie that Satan tells us. I can manage all of my stuff on my own. I don't need anybody else. I definitely don't need God. I can do it all by myself. How many of us have thought that? I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. 
for God to love me. I'm not good enough. I'm just a bad person. And because of that, I have no purpose, no value. I've messed up so much in my life. I have no real purpose, no value. I'm just going through this life hoping it ends quickly because I have really no value. And lastly, last lie that many people believe, they say, I'm not beautiful. They say, because of my past, because of things I've done and said, look at what I've done to my life. I'm not a beautiful person. Every single one of those lies are things that people in this world, some of us, struggle with on a regular basis. And those are lies that Satan wants us to continue to believe. If we can continue believing those and speaking those things to ourselves, it's harder to hear the truth when it's presented. We like to tell ourselves lies. We like to listen to lies because we like to sometimes, some of us like to feel bad about ourselves. The glass is always half empty. The glass is two-thirds empty. The glass is nine-tenths empty. Please fill up and give me some more coffee. We like to wallow in self-pity and Saul was much the same way because of his disobedience he knew that God was ripping the kingdom away from his descendants he knew that his children his grandchildren were not going to inherit the kingdom that God had placed him in charge to manage and that what would that do to your psyche the Bible says that his blessing was removed. The Spirit of God was removed from Saul. And because of that, he began to fall deeper and deeper and deeper into depression. And Satan loved him there. Satan loved that he was just getting deeper and deeper. He loved that Saul had this idea that God had left him alone. But we know we've read the rest of the story. We know the end. God did not leave him alone. In fact, we're going to look here in just a second how God sent a provider. God sent somebody to come alongside to encourage him and to challenge him and to hopefully get him back on the right track again. And the person of David, as he played his lyre, that the lies Saul believed were just that. Just like many of the lies that we believe are false. So look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. As we look first that Saul believed the lie that God had abandoned him. 1 Samuel 16. Follow along with me. It says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when a harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Please provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, laden with bread and with skin of wine, and young goat, and sent them by David to the son of, his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered into his service. 
And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. As Saul was getting deeper and deeper into his depression, understanding that God's blessing had been removed from him, this evil spirit was being attributed to Saul. I believe it was just his recognition that God's blessing was no longer on him. As he is there in his throne, this feeling of abandonment coming upon him, this feeling that God has left me was upon him, this feeling that I'm no longer beautiful in, in God's sight. That I, can, I now have to manage all this on my own. These people, this nation of Israel, God has set me up a king, and then he abandoned me and left me all by myself. And he helplessness. His people go out. His people go out and they find David. Say, so I've seen this shepherd boy out in the fields. And I've heard him singing songs and playing on this lyre, playing on this instrument, singing these beautiful songs. Perhaps if he were to come and sit in your presence, O king, he could play for you and you would feel better. Do you not think that God had placed in David in the right spot so that Saul's Servants, that those who worked with Saul would not hear and see David out in the field. That maybe every day as this man came back and forth from home, he saw David in the fields. He got to hear the songs. And what was he listening to? What was David out there singing? We've got a whole book of it. You look In the middle of your Bible, if you just open your book to the very middle, you're going to find the songs of David, the Psalms. He's out there in the field singing his heart out. That last song as we're here uh, this morning, we're singing that together. I'm up here just playing away, but I'm singing my heart out. God, you are awesome. Hallelujah. We praise you, O God. Hallelujah. You are awesome in this place. I can imagine. This, this guy is going by his donkey into town. You know? Maybe he's got a three-legged donkey, so he only goes one side, right? And here's David out in the fields. The sheep are doing their thing. He's out there just composing and playing and singing his heart out to God. And this guy's going, maybe if I can get this kid to come and sit in the presence of the king, that he'll feel better. And he'll stop griping at me. Right? Maybe it was a selfish attitude. We don't know. If I can get this king and get his eyes off of me and his problems, then he'll leave me alone to do my job. But the thing to understand is that God had not abandoned Saul. He had already prepared David out in the fields. He had already set it up in the fields for David to prepare him to come and to talk, to sing, to comfort Saul's soul. He still had a duty to lead his people and to create opportunities to worship and to obey God. 
but God sent David to his presence to remind him, to help him just to calm down, to not think of poor, pitiful me, Saul, all by myself. The stress and the burden of leadership was on his shoulders. God sent David to comfort him. He had not abandoned him. Even in that hopeless state, God provided for David to play. And just think of the songs that he was singing. Those psalms that he already written out in the field. Man, we don't know how, we have a collection of 150 psalms and he didn't write all the ones that we have in our, in our psalm book. But think of all the songs that David had written. And he's now coming into the presence of the king and singing songs of joy, songs of redemption, songs of hope, songs of God's glory. And those songs, as Saul is listening to them, in his bad mood, they lift his spirits. David was singing and allowing Saul's emotions to calm down as he got his focus off of himself and back on the king of kings. He got his thoughts off of himself and back on his people. He got his thoughts off of himself and his problems and back on what was going on around him. See, God sent David to play on his lyre for Saul. In chapter 17, we find the story of Goliath. And we see as Goliath comes before the nation of Israel, taunting them, griping at them. He bullies them with some more lies. Follow along with me in chapter 17, verse 4. Let's look at some of the lies that he tells. And there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of, weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spearhead itself weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? <clears throat> Am I not a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul? Choose for me, for me a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with, for me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, listen to this, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all, the arm, all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What was it that Saul was telling them? He says, here I am on nine foot nine of me. I'm standing here to intimidate the people of Israel. I'm wearing my armor, all 125 pounds. I got my shield, shield bearer in front of me, and I'm carrying this spear with just the head alone is 15 pounds. How many of y'all ever shot a bow and arrow or thrown a spear, a javelin? And you throw it, and it just goes straight to the ground. This guy, the spearhead alone was, 100, was 15 pounds. The armor on his body was 125 pounds. This guy was ginormous. 
nine foot nine inches of him, ginormous. And he stood there taunting the people of Israel. He says, you are weak. Why do you even bother to come to do battle? You are a bunch of weaklings. Look at me. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at my javelin. Look at my shield there who has to carry the shield. He's, okay, I've got the shield of son of Goliath, right? Who do you think you are to come against me? You're nothing but weaklings. He goes on and says, I'm so big that I'm going to prevail against you, right? Send out your fiercest warrior. Go ahead. Send him out. I, def- I dare you because I'm going to defeat you. You have no chance. He says in verse 10, you're powerless. You're powerless to stand against me. I defy your God. I defy your king. Remember at this time, when nation went against nation, oftentimes in their back of their mind, it was this nation's God against this nation's God. And what he's essentially telling the people of Israel is, our God is stronger than your God. Our God is so strong, your God has abandoned you. Left you to your own devices. He's not around. You're left in defeat. God has abandoned you. God has abandoned you. Your God. Where is he? I don't see him. Remember Elijah? When he challenged the priests of Baal? They set up the altar, and the priests of Baal marched around in and cut themselves. Oh, Baal, come down, light the fire. Gavail, come down. Elijah's over there mocking him. Where is he? He's sleeping. Call louder. He might wake up. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Call him. Wake him up. Come up. Get him to come out. It says that. I love it. <laughs> Where is your God? He's nowhere. Your God has abandoned you, Elijah says. And then with one simple word, God, show yourself mighty. Here's Goliath, standing before the people of Israel. Where's your God? Maybe he's gone. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Your God has abandoned you. Maybe you feel the same way in your situation, your life. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you as well. See, the, the God's people that were so focused on the enemy's lies says that they were, look what it says there at the, in, in the end of in verse 11, says, when Saul heard, Saul and all Israel heard these words, what happened? They were dismayed. Maybe in the back of their mind they're thinking, well, maybe he's right. This big nine foot nine guy, maybe he's right. Where is God? I don't know. He's not, he hasn't shown up in a while. We haven't seen any manna fall from heaven. Where is God? I don't know. Where's God? Where, where's God? You can get the, among the ranks. Who's going to fight him? Uh, not me, not me. Maybe Rich. No, I don't know Rich. Uh, maybe Dave. Oh, Dave's arms hurt. No, he can't fight him. Uh, maybe Drew, Drew's young and strong, strapping. Yeah, we'll send. No, okay, I got to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to fight? Oh, not me, not me. Pa- next guy, pass the buck, pass the buck. They were all dismayed and scared to death. Not one of them wanted to go out there and face Goliath. They've been beaten down. 
See, it's easy to focus on the lies of the enemy and the lies being told us when we get our eyes off of the cross. It's easy to focus on the lies that Satan wants us to believe when we get our eyes out of the Word of God. We get our eyes off of him and we get them on ourselves and our situation. My financial situation is so bad, God, you can't help it. My health situation is so bad, God, you can't do it. My eyes are here, my eyes are here, my eyes are here, instead of my eyes being there. But God has not abandoned you in your situation either. You may be looking at your checkbook and going, how am I going to pay my rent this month? How am I going to pay this medical bill? How am I going to pay for the medicine that I need? How am I going to pay? How am I going to... God, you don't understand. God understands. If God understood Saul's situation and he'd removed his blessings from Saul, he understood Saul's situation and he sent David. He understood the nation of Israel's situation in front of Goliath and who did he send? He sent David. Remember in these stories, who does David represent? God. When Saul was frustrated, how did God meet the need? He himself. When Goliath came before the nation of Israel and taunted them and told them that God had abandoned them, who shows up? But God. God shows up. Who's going to show up in our lives too when we are struggling, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're dejected and depressed? Who shows up? God. He may use one of us in the room. He may use your neighbor. He may use your spouse. He may use that person next to you. He may use a situation in your life. But it's God showing up each and every time because He has not abandoned us. When we keep our eyes on the cross, the brightness and the glory of the Son of God, shines on these lies and covers them up. What is it that we learn from the cross? We learn that God has not abandoned His children to sin. He has not abandoned us to our sins. When all seemed hopeless in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve stand that they, they, they sinned, they ate of the fruit, whatever it was. Eve convinces Adam, the willing accomplice, to eat also. And then they're like, oh, we're naked. Oh no, what are we going to do? And they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. And God says, that's not enough. I can still see. That's not enough. They hide themselves behind the tree, and God's calling out in the garden. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Oh, we're over here. Oh, we're afraid because we're naked. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? Um, um, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Um, well, you see, God, uh, the wife, the woman that you gave me, she made me. And uh, God, you see that the snake that, that you made, he, he, he coerced me to eat it. And so therefore, now we're naked because of our choices. That people that you, your creation made us do, forced me to take a bite. Even in that, they felt hopeless. We have gone against the one thing that God told us not to do. The one thing. You've seen those memes out there. You had one job, right? And the, the paint going down the line straight, then the guy falls asleep. and, and then just, You had one job to do, one thing to do, and you just don't eat of that tree. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I think I'll have another. You had one job. God says, even in that, I will cover your sin. And he kills an animal. Gives him the sheep skins. 
And on the cross, the Lamb of God covers our sins. He died for us on the cross so that our sins might not be held against us. Not that we're going to be sinless, not that we're going to be perfect, but so that our sins would not be held against us. Praise God for that. He, on the cross, died. His blood shed for us. Just like the lamb in the garden, his blood was shed. So Adam and Eve's sin could be covered. On the cross, Jesus' blood shed for us. So our sins might be covered. But even before going to the cross, John chapter 17, Jesus comes, and I love the high priestly prayer as he prays for his disciples, knowing he's getting ready to go die. He's getting ready to leave this earth, and he prays for his disciples, and he prays for us. Do you know that God prayed for you? That Jesus prayed for you in his word? Look in verse 6. He's praying specifically for the disciples right here. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. John chapter 17. You gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and you have, they have kept your word. Now, look at this, verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given to me is from you. He spent three and a half years working with these stubborn men, working with these stubborn men, working with them, working with them, and now they know everything we've done came from you. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know the truth that I came from you. But they have believed, that, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those to whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's, what's he praying for? He's praying for their unity, praying that they will understand, that they continue to understand that God's word is there in the world and they are to take it out to the rest of the world. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may, have my, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, not because, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's what we all want. We all want to be removed from our pressures. We want to be removed from our temptations. God, just take me out. Get me out of here. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one that you keep them from the evil one. Not that we're removed from the temptation, but that God keeps us from the temptation. He keeps us from sinning. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You have sent me into the world, so, that, so I sent them into the world. He's praying specifically for the disciples that they'll find power and strength in what's going to come, and they will be unified together. Unified in one mind together in their purpose of getting the gospel to those that we're getting ready to go to. But then he doesn't stop there. He prays for us. He prays for us specifically in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only. I don't ask just for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. We believe 
through the word that they took on, that the disciples took into all the rest of the world, we get the opportunity to believe, and he's praying for us. What's he going to pray for me about? I'm excited. That they may be all one. Not that I might be blessed. Not that I might have peace and ease in this life. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What's Jesus praying for us about? That we might be in one mind in our purpose as well. We might be in one mind to glorify. And have, what's, what's that going to do? It's going to draw the world to himself. I'm not trying to draw the world to David Etter. I don't want to draw the world to mountain states. I want to draw the world so they might see the Savior. So they might also in turn look to the cross of Jesus and find forgiveness. So they might also look and find redemption. See, it's only at the cross where we find the forgotten love of God. Only at the cross do we discover the redemption and forgiveness of God. Only at the cross we see God's grace revealed. It's only at the cross that we become to understand who we are and how God sees us. There's a beautiful song that's come out recently. I want us to listen to real quick and kind of remind us of who we are to God. Go ahead.
How does God view us? We are the children of God. He has not abandoned us. When we were stuck in our slaves, the slaves of sin, he did not abandon us. He died for us. He made a way for us. On the cross, we find that redemption. On the cross, we find the love of God. On the cross, we find the grace of God revealed to mankind and also in you. I hope that you are encouraged as, as we think about this in our own lives. No matter what we are going through, God sees it. No matter what is happening, God sees it. When you think all is dark and all is lost, God sees it and makes a way. Bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as we come before the Lord this morning. I don't know where you are in your life, what's going on, but I know we serve a God who has not left you alone. He's not left me alone. This morning you'd say, Pastor, I feel like there's no hope. In my life, I'm sick. In my life, I've got financial issues. In my life, I've got spousal issues. In my life, I've got kid issues. I've got parent issues, whatever it may be. I just, I don't, I need to feel the presence of God this morning. Would you lift up your hand? We want to pray for you this morning. I know there are people who are hurting in here. I know there are people around who need the touch of God this morning. They can say, he has not abandoned you. you know that God loves you. You are a child of God. If you've committed yourself to him on, and on the cross, you say, God, I give you all that I am. I need a touch from you this morning. Maybe there's someone in this room that say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know, I can't even contemplate what you're talking about. I've never experienced this love of God. I've never experienced this feeling, this, this idea that you're talking about this on the cross, what's the cross? I don't understand this. You said that he forgave me my sins. He, he died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross. Pastor, I just don't get it. I don't understand. But I want to commit myself to this God. I want to commit myself to Jesus who died for me and to, so that he might have a relationship with me so I might have a place in heaven with him. And God, this morning, I need to commit myself to him. I want to give myself over to him with as much as I understand. I need his touch. Would you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning as well. Pray for you this morning as well. You need a touch from God. You need to receive his forgiveness and his love. Lord, this morning you saw the hands that were raised and the hearts that are struggling, the hearts that are troubled. You know the situations they're going through, Father. You know the, the struggles that they're dealing with. And Lord, this morning I hope that they can walk out of here and go, I am not alone. Because there's a God in heaven who loves me. A God in heaven who died for me. A God in heaven who provides my needs for me. He walks alongside. This morning, Father God, as we are in your presence, I pray that our lives, our minds, our thoughts, our speech, all that we are, all that we say, all that we do, to be lived out in such a way that we bring glory and honor to your name, to lift you up among the nations, to lift you up in our communities so that the world might see that as one body and the one in the body of Christ we come together in love, love and unity, Father God.
and they would be drawn to you as a result. Not because of my eloquent speaking, not because of the wonderful playing in the music, not because we have a facility in a building, but because of the love of God that we have for one another. And in unity, we come together in purpose. I pray that your name might go forward to the nations through this body as we draw together to honor you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have never abandoned us. That the stories we read this morning, they really took place. Not just stories like in a Grimm's fairy tales. But with the story of Saul and the story here of Goliath as they trying to spread these lies to the nation of Israel. Lord, that you did not abandon them and you will not abandon us. I thank you, Father God, that you are all-powerful. And in your midst, we find a love, we find unity, we find grace and mercy and redemption and all those things that we look to the cross for. Father God, we want to honor you with our lives, honor you as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.